This is the Kineo Equipping Podcast. Uh, well, good morning, everybody. Welcome, parents. Uh, this is week four of the parenting class, and today we're going to talk about process and control. And if we've not met you before, my name's Cody Klein, and this is my wife, Stacy. So likely many of you have seen me before, but she's the uh, kind of Wonder Woman behind everything that makes our world go. But we've got uh, four kids. They're 10, 8, 6, and 3, and we've been married a little over 13 years. So we'll be the ones uh, jumping in today to kind of guide the next 75 minutes or, or so. And I'm sure that every week has started pretty much with the same phrase that we're not experts. We don't claim to be, but we have our share of good days and hard days in parenting, just like all of you. And hopefully just by things that people have poured into us and um, just that God's teaching us as well, that we can share that with you today. So. So here's how we're going to start the day. I'm not, I'm not sure. Like, I've, I've actually not jumped into any of the other parenting classes. I didn't listen to the podcast or whatever. So we'll try not to repeat anything, but I also don't know. Um, I'm also not sure how you start each class. But, guys, this is something for us that I would love as parents for us to embrace more and more is just a culture of prayer. Um, if you've got a Bible, I would love for you to open up to Psalm 121. So this is actually a psalm that for a number of years, uh, we actually had like the, I don't even know what it's called. Like, Emily, you're artsy enough to help me out with this. It's like the, the vinyl printing like letters that you, you get. But we had like this phrase like plastered up against the wall. Is that right? Like vinyl lettering? Do you know? It was vinyl lettering. Matt. <laughs> yep. I got this. Uh, so so but we, actually, we actually had Psalm 121.4 over our kids, uh, like our baby crib, you know, especially when we're having them like back to back to back to back. I mean, they're just all sliding through there, but each one had this kind of over them. Because um, guys, here's, here's the reality. So just give me your eyes for a second before you dive into the text. We start talking about words like process and you begin to realize there's no like quick fix to your children. There's no like three major memories you can give them in life and they are gonna be perfect people. But process, there's no quick fix. And then when it comes to control, that you can't like sort circuit or even like microwave real quick, like a genuine heart and love for Jesus. Like those things, you can't just make it happen with a snap of a finger. What it really forces you to do as parents is trust God with them. And I, I think one of the most healthy things that we can pray, and this is how I want to even start today, is just to pray words of trust toward God. Guys, let me tell you this. God cares more about your children and their salvation than you do. God cares more about your children and who they become than you do. And so... Psalm 121.4 was critical for us because I remember like those early days as a parent when you have that infant laying in the crib and they're so stinking fragile. Like you're looking at their like little chest fill up with air and then go back down. 
And you realize, like, I can do nothing to make sure that that continues to happen. And so I remember with our first kid, just, like, sitting there outside the crib, nervous, because they would stop breathing. You know, like, that, that weird baby moment where they, like, stop breathing for a set? And it's maybe, like, two seconds, but you freak out inside that whole thing. And, and we needed this psalm over our, our heads at that time just to keep praying again and again. And the psalm is this, 121.4. The one who watches over you never sleeps or slumbers. And I think as parents, we need to pray that in a lot and recognize that the one who watches over our children never sleeps or slumbers. So I can go to bed, I can entrust them to God, and I'll live to fight another day type of a thing. But... I would love to just create space at your tables just to pray together. I think we would do better as parents if we prayed more and worried less. But can you just, just pray simple phrases across your table that just communicate, God, I trust you with our children. And I trust that you care more about them than we do. And just hand them over to the Lord. Can we do that? And then my wife, she'll pray for us and kind of get things moving here at nine o'clock, all right? Lord, we thank you that this morning we can come before you and worship you. Um, we thank you that you're holy and that you're loving, you're all-knowing. You know all the fears and things that are anxious in our hearts at times, just as parents and not knowing um, the path before us for ourselves, but that you do. We can have comfort in that. Thank you for even that truth in Psalm 121, that you do watch over us and you never sleep or slumber. I do pray, too, that... Um, we would just trust in who you are as our Father, that you love us just as your children and that you are faithful to um, just instruct sinners along the way and guide us and teach us and so patiently and um, with such mercy and grace. And I pray that you would just teach us that as we teach our children, um, that we would remember just the character of you and point our kids back to you, teach them to flee to you and... Um, just thank you again for this morning, these parents and their families represented in this room. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So what we're going to do now is I want to give you space just to talk about particularly the first chapter of reading there. And so here's the table discussion we want to get rolling. We're going to give you 10 minutes now on these two questions. Number one, do you tend to let the little things slide by and then eventually blow up at your children? Yes. If so, Why? That maybe would be the, the question. Uh, number two then, uh, are you most proactive or reactive in your parenting? All right, so 10 minutes at your table, discuss that, be vulnerable, uh, and then we'll, we'll pull it together and my wife and I will give you just some insights from our household. So. All right, so hopefully that got things kind of moving at your table a bit. Uh, I heard some vulnerable statements over here, which was good, that, that's, that's good. Because um, it, it I, I wanted to say this at the beginning, I totally forgot, but, but thank you so much for being here, um, to recognize the great stewardship that you have in discipling the next generation within your own home and to take that seriously. Around this room are people that want to join up and link arms with you and want to do this together. And so lean into them and continue to walk in states of, of just being vulnerable and, and admitting mistakes and learning as, as much as you can. Uh, that That's how we just do life in general. Anybody that knows us knows us. It's just kind of like how we live in all things. But even like the stuff that we've learned as far as how to parent 
has all been just us sitting around other people that are like a stage ahead of us and just asking them questions. And that's like everything that we'll share today is, is a result of those conversations and then things that we've in- implemented that go like, that actually kind of worked. But I, I think parents, when it comes to the word process, I, I have a sincere question to ask you that's going to sound insincere, but, but here's what it is. Are you in it for the long haul? Are you in it for the long haul? Because one of the things that I'm beginning to realize, uh, especially as I talk to the, like my friends that are empty nesters, is they say this to me all the time, you never stop being a parent. And I think we've got it in, the, in our mind that like, oh yeah, we do this for a while and then eventually it, it ends. No, it doesn't. It just changes. It just looks a bit different and it sucks in different ways. That's the reality, I think, of, of parenting. And so uh, one thing that was helpful for me years ago was I had somebody draw this out for me uh, that, that I think just helped me see maybe the, the spectrum of, of family. And I've, I forgot like the best angle to do this so that Stacy's not in the way. But, uh, or me or the table. Uh, I'm trying to draw like my best version of a funnel. Uh, but I think most of us, when we think about parenting, parent like with the wrong, the funnel kind of pointed the wrong way. And here's, here's what I mean. I think most of us, when we begin as parents and we have babies, there's like complete freedom. There are no rules. Uh, we let the child do what the child wants to do. And, and there's just, we just kind of operate in that way. And as they grow up, we start to enforce rules. So now they're three and they've got this issue going on. And it's like, okay, we're going to deal with that. So we put in a rule and those things. And then they get into be like fourth or fifth grade. And you're like, my child's an absolute snob. And so you put in a few more rules and like you just tighten it up. And what happens is they end up like rebelling against you hardcore here and just don't want anything to do with you because you're putting rules into place. Uh, I, think, I think one of the things that was terrifying, you know, that, that illustration they had in there about that four-year-old girl, you know, you're, you're reading that story and going, gosh, look at that four-year-old. And it's like, what type of 18-year-old is that child gonna be? And so I think often many people, especially in the world around us, will parent with the funnel going the wrong direction, complete freedom at the beginning, and then they add rules over time. And actually, I believe the way that God calls us to parent is to start with the rules right away, and a lot of them, that you, you start with discipline, that freedoms are, are limited as infants. And as they grow up, you begin to loosen those things just a bit, but it begins to change a little bit. That as your child gets into junior high, your mindset toward the process of parenting, again, it's an everyday thing, but at that point, you go, okay, to this point, I have given you rules and I have called for you to obey them. The most important thing I wanted to instill in you as a young child is the value of authority. And not just that authority exists and you gotta suck it up and follow the rules, but know the, that there are good authorities out there that love you more than you love yourself. And when you entrust yourself to a good authority, like your mom and dad or to God, it goes well for you. And so you train them in that from the earliest of age to love authority and to love submission, to love leadership. But as time goes on, you get to the spot, you go, okay, now maybe they're in junior high. Um, I recognize you're growing up to be a young man or a young woman. So to this point, 
I have kind of laid out the rules and called for you to follow them and have disciplined you in that. Now, it's a little bit more shoulder to shoulder. It's like driver's ed. Like we're in the car and at this point, I'm gonna be in the driver's seat, you'll be in the passenger seat. Then eventually here over the next year, we'll maybe like switch seats, but I'll still have like the brake, you know? Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll do life together there. Because I, I think, guys, what you want to, to get to, now again, this is like theoretical for us. We've not gotten there yet, but you know, some handful of years in youth ministry and stuff. What we're aiming for is when our kids get into being 16, 17, 18, that what you're talking about there is now even less authority. I'm not trying to lay my authority over you. I want us to have such a relationship that you desire my input and influence because of the hard work that was put in here. And I'm gonna let you make mistakes here. I'm gonna let you make your own decisions, but you're still under my roof and we'll care for you and, and all those things. But this begins to, to widen up. But again, I, I draw this, this phone. I mean, I think this is just like a parenting picture that I think we all need to have in mind. And I would, I'd ask you like, you know, which way is your funnel pointing at this point? Is it the right way or the wrong way? Uh, but I think what's helpful on this is just, again, to keep thinking about parenting as a process, but it continues to change. And I think it has to. I think we have to change even our tactics as we parent. But I think we squander so many opportunities. So do you want to speak to that, like how we do that? Yeah. The day in and day out, um, it, it can be hard to see that of that um, just being faithful, I guess, in that. And I loved in chapter six, he just talks about on page 94, just that we throw threats at moments where quiet wisdom is what's needed. We take personal offense in places where we're being called to compassion and understanding. We often, we're often mad at our children, not because they've broken God's law, but because they have gotten in the way of the laws of our peace and comfort. There are times when we are demanding when we should be serving and sadly, there are moments when we are mad that our children need us to walk down the hall and parent them once more. And I just see in my struggle for myself where it's easy to want to respond in the flesh when you've been just constantly, you know, training and um, with discipline. It can get very weary and discouraging, but just coming in um, as the Spirit calls us with joy and gentleness and patience and kindness to also go down that hallway one more time. And for one of our kids... Um, just this week has really been struggling, just acting out in frustration when things are hard at times with his words and just being tired. And maybe it's at the end of the school day, we see a kind of a consistent pattern for him. But, um, but just helping him understand that his words have weight and um, ultimately that it's not an offense to us, but it's God. And so just helping him, just his awareness of his sin and his words and I'm going to ask for you to share a little bit more on that example in just a bit. I thought you were going to talk about Bailey because if there's one child, I mean, like we thought we had parenting figured out when it was just the boys. It was, it was Bailey that really ruined us because uh, we would have, like prior to Bailey being born, we would have walked into this class and been like, oh, yeah, total confidence. Like if you just do this, it's good. And she's the child that just broke us. Like all the same rules, all the same things, all the same purposefulness, it just like didn't work. And now we've got the child that's in Walmart that's like hitting you when you're at the checkout line and you're like, I don't know what to do. And so you just like walk your screaming child out to the parking lot in Walmart and it's like, you just leave your entire cart of groceries and stuff 
because you're just flat out embarrassed. I mean, it's just that that's. And in all honesty, that last year I just felt like I didn't even want to have people in our home to see how hard it was, and like just God breaking um, my pride and humility. Just that it is hard at times, and you know, just really we need God's grace in those yeah. moments. Which is why I, I think I praise God, and, and and guys, you have to you have to understand this. Like I think sometimes we get it the wrong way too, where we think that God gave us as a gift to our children. When really, like, God also is sovereign over the kids that he gave you. And is it possible that he gave you kids that are gonna be sinners in a particular way that will refine you in ways that if you had had perfect children, that issue in your life, that, that unrecognized sin would have never been brought into the light and addressed. And I think that's true for Bailey. I mean, I think, I think she wrecked us in a good way and forced us to have to learn how to just laugh and pull people into it and be like, I, I know it's easy for me to think that this reflects poorly on me and that all of you are judging me right now because I can't get her to get off the floor. And I've tried everything, even candy now, to like try to get her manipulated to do something positive in this moment. And that, that's again where I think, getting comfortable just inviting other people into that mess and finding other parents that were normal and like us that could look at us and go, I totally get it. I'm not questioning your effort. <laughs> uh, that was relieving for us. And again, that's why I mean like you've got allies in the room. So build those friendships and those bonds and be that type of friend for somebody else. But I think this, this chapter, what it really brought out in me, and maybe you have the same thought, uh, I walked away reading this chapter going, gosh, I am so stinking selfish. Because instead of recognizing that I have this incredible moment to enter into my child's life and speak truth and embody God's posture toward them and his words toward them, I often parent with two major motivations, either my own pride in that this makes me look really bad. And so you're making me look bad. And I parent out of that, which is a terrible motivator for parenting. Or number two, this is incredibly inconvenient because I was finally sitting down having a quiet moment or now I've got to drive across town and handle this whole thing or whatever. And those two things are horrible and display that, my parenting is often driven by a me-centered selfishness rather than just how to best serve these sinners in my life and display the gospel for them uh, and proclaim the gospel to them, you know. Um, is there anything else you want to add to that? I was just thinking about that um, when he says walking down the hall to parent once more. Sometimes it's just a, a child that's at the... They're whiny, and the last thing in my flesh, I want to offer compassion. It's the end of the day. I've kind of had my rope. But getting down like Christ would, and has for us to just read that kid a book, snuggle him, pull him up close, and um, serving when I don't want to serve, and looking to that model of Christ. I think another Bible verse, if I could give this to you, I gave you Psalm 21, 4. Uh, here's another one, uh, Proverbs 29, 11. Uh, this one is pretty simple. A fool gives full vent to his anger. That's the, that's the proverb. A fool gives full vent to their anger. Guys, I, 
I used that excuse for far too long that it's like, oh, daddy just needed to vent or, you know, like we all have to blow off some steam or whatever. Mommy's stressed. Or mommy's stressed. I guess I was taking that more on myself. I wasn't trying to out you in front of everybody. So, uh, and, and even, even as believers, you know, like we'll, we'll talk to each other even in, in small group environments and go like, no, it's okay. Like, let it out. Like you need to express it. Like that type of thing. Thinking that guys, no one ever feels better giving full voice to the lies that are in their head or the garbage that's in their heart. Scriptures would actually tell us, no, 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 take scripture and digest it and shove that down and push it away because it's wrong. It's evil. Don't let it come out of your lips. Don't let it come out of your mouth. And I think that's what that Proverbs speaks to. A fool gives full vent to their anger. Venting will never make you really feel better. And it never solves the situation. You'd be a fool if you do that. And so I think for parenting, that's been one of those. I've just had to like memorize Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to their anger. That's not gonna help. Try something else. So now I wanna guys, I'm gonna give you a second round of table discussion questions. This one focuses a bit more on the topic of control. And so uh, these are the questions here. Do you most often emphasize how your child's sin offends you or how it offends God? So he's kind of spoke to that a little bit. I'm gonna draw her out in a bit and like what that actually looks like in our household. Number two then, what do you often offer your child as a solution to their bad behavior? All right, so back at the tables, I'll give you another 10 minutes, about 9.35. I, I promised this before, I, I wanna get to it. I, I think guys, when it, when it comes to that first question, the reason I, I loved that question is I thought instantly when I read it, I'm like, this gives me an awesome opportunity to really commend my wife. Um, cause this is something that is a culture in our household, but is not a culture that I implemented at all. In fact, I could probably count on like one hand, the number of times I feel like I've really done that well, where I've walked into a situation to discipline our child and like connected the dots to how like they weren't offending me, but they were offending God. But this is common language more in our household because of the things that you implement. And so can you give us like, a real life example. I mean, really make one of our kids look terrible. And, and us in the process, uh, like, like, like pull back the curtain a little bit. And then like, what does this look like to, to walk through with you? So, Well, I kind of, I think I was sharing the wrong example at the earlier, but um, so, I was so trying to with, unpack. Go with Trevor. Yeah. Stay, stay with him. He, so, he's, our, like, he's got these blue eyes that just melts your heart. And so it's like hard to be mad at him the context but he's (laughs) but just seeing that the blindness like helping our child see the spiritual blindness that trip actually talked about too in this chapter and um just after school he is just this week has had such a hard time and just will say things and and just these fits and just trying to help him understand okay bud we need to pull aside a little bit but just for me, stepping back and realizing it's not me, it's offense to God first, but drawing out his heart, like what is, is does something happen at school today? Or um, sometimes he can't always tell that right away, but it's often just pulling him aside in his room away from activity around us. And um, I think just getting to the heart that, blind to that condition and um, I don't know, what kind of yeah. is getting us to that point. So when he... When he walks away from that conversation, do you think he's more aware of how he sinned against you 
or how he sinned against God. Against God. And just knowing that we can go to Christ. Like, that's why Jesus came for sinners and died for us and just pointing him to the cross. I think, too, just seeing that Jesus is who we can flee to in those times. And I'm learning that as a believer, but also trying to help my child yeah. know that go to, that we can go to Christ. Yeah, and I think, I think one thing that, that I've, I've watched Stacy do time and time again is confess her own sin to Trevor in that moment, because in a lot of ways, I mean, and, and it, it's laughable because I'm watching Trevor yesterday. He did like the full like arms flailing. Limp noodle. He's like smashing his face He's on the six. counter because we're asking him to write seven thank you notes and after his birthday party, you know, and he, all he's got to write because he's in kindergarten is thank you. And like we, we wrote it out for him. So he's just following the letters, but it says thank you, exclamation point, then Trevor, you know, it's his name. And I think we're on like pen number three. This one's not working. And he's just, he's just losing it, you know. Um, but but Stacey always does such a good job uh, being calm in that moment. Like when, when Tripp talks about like not disciplining your kids in anger, that's kind of a shepherding a child's heart book that he wrote. It's like, I have no idea how to do that. Um, I'm like, yeah, thank you. Uh, I read that. I'm like, that's not possible. Uh, that's the whole point, right? That you're angry. I'm angry. So we're, you know, but Stace will, will kind of be able to pull apart the, and, and use it as an opportunity to confess your own sin because in a lot of ways, even as ridiculous as we're looking at Trevor, like we do the same thing. Mm-hmm. There's something like that that's happened in our life probably that day or the day before that we can own. And so what does that look like for you to, to own it? You acknowledge your sin. You acknowledge that it was wrong. You acknowledge that it was, it was specifically wrong toward God. You confess that. You repent of that. You, you pray. God forgives you. One of the things that we use even as language, speak into this at any point that you want to, uh, is this concept of like icky hearts. You know, you try to get the gospel into like their language. And so we talk to our boys a lot about having icky hearts and that Jesus came to heal icky hearts. You know, and so that'll be part of the way that we explain the gospel and the point of Jesus coming, but... Yeah, I think drawing out what's in the heart. Like, is that a selfish heart or um, icky or that's a good heart and just that. So is there a passage of scripture that you go to often as a parent that I think keeps your mindset focused? Maybe not even so much on them, but even for yourself. Well, it was actually shared Psalm 51 to just a clean heart. Um, That phrase, just praying for God to give us a clean heart and... I think with our kids, helping them know that only Christ gives us a clean heart, you know? Yeah. Because um, the other thing I would, I would throw out there, I think when it comes to control, uh, we can sometimes focus so much more on behavior modification, like getting them to do the right thing, that we never actually explain to them why they should do it. And I thought he really drew that out well. And I think that that's something that, that you need to spend more energy on is not just explaining to your kids how you want them to behave, but why we behave like that. Why are we generous with our things? Why do we share? Why do we give of our money and give it to God? Why do we love kids that are different than us. We talk to our kids about that all the time. It's not just loving certain types of people and personalities, but loving all types of people. But why? 
I'd be curious even if you could articulate that. Like, why, why do we love all people, right? And so we talk to our kids in that regard about like how all people are made in God's image. Each person carries tremendous value because God made them like that. And so whether they sit in a wheelchair or they got a different skin color or they're not athletic or athletic or whatever, it doesn't matter. Like God cares tremendously for them and desires relationship with them. We should offer relationship to that person. Do you talk to your kids about why? Why do we not have sex before marriage? You know, even just not just saying like, don't do this or do this, but why? And I think we can miss that a lot. I know one of the things that was really impactful for me that, that helps me shape the mindset I have toward our, our older kids um, is I remember building a friendship with a guy named Roger Wheeler and watching him raise high schoolers when I was in Ames doing high school ministry. Um, but, but he's like, you know, I think sometimes parents sometimes really ruin a good shepherding moment because they'll have a kid come in and say something to them and they're desire for control, they'll, they'll remove an opportunity. And here's, here's the example he gave. He said, like, if your teenager comes into your house and goes, I'm going to kill my math teacher, what are the ways that most of you respond to that? Well, you don't mean that. Well, now you're just training your child not to just show raw emotion around you, to behavior modification. And so he's like, he's like that's not the way I want to go about it. If my kid walks in and goes, I'm going to kill my math teacher. I go, why? What's going on? And draw that out. There's a difference, though. I think, again, as, as parents, we're so nervous about that moment and how it reflects that, that we're trying to get control. And that's the issue with control. Like, control's a good thing, but it's not the ultimate thing. And if you get your kids to do the right thing, but with the wrong heart, it doesn't matter. And that's where, again, trust comes into it, that you cannot, like, manufacture this. It's not a quick thing. It's why parenting, it's like, are you in this for the long haul? Because you've got to be about helping them establish a genuine heart for Jesus, which, again, is a work that only the Holy Spirit can do. So your role in that has got to be just, God, use me as a conduit to just speak your truth into this, but i got to be able to draw them out and create space for them to just talk. I think when it comes to this funnel, and Kara, I can't wait for you. I think you and Heath are up next week, right? So you guys can bring all the wisdom on this, because like, I'm at, I'm at age 10, and your oldest is 19? 18. Right. <laughs> Isn't there? And, and Again, my goal, like the ultimate goal I have when I start thinking about my kids in their teenage years, uh, if, it's, if it's about them learning obedience here and, and discipline and, and authority and, and all of that, when it gets to here, the number one goal of my parenting when our kids get into their teenage years will be authenticity. Because at the end of the day, guys, you cannot keep your kids from sin. You cannot lock all of your windows to keep your daughter from not crawling out and going and seeing her boyfriend. If she wants to, she will find a way to get that done. So control is a terrible goal, and a lot of Christian parents go after it thinking that it's everything. And they put in all these rules, and they lock all the windows, and they got the tracking device in the phone, but it doesn't do anything to change the child. And so here... And again, I remember, sorry, I'm getting long-winded, but I remember Roger, this blew my mind. I'm sitting there with his teenage son, 
And because and he's the one that's talking to me about a lot of this stuff. And his teenage boy walks in and he goes, Dad. And, and Nick is 16 at the time. He goes, Dad, you ever smoked weed? And Roger goes, um, no. He goes, have you ever thought about it? And he goes, can't say that I have. Why, are you? And Nick's like, yeah, I'm thinking about it. And Roger goes, why would you do that? Again, he's not shutting that conversation down or like, why, why would you do that? And he goes, I don't know, like I'm such like a linear thinker and I, and I love music and I love playing the drums and I feel like it would just make me like more relaxed and artistic and, and I just, and, and, and Roger's like, wow. So, I mean, what are, what are your reasonings? Like, why would you not do it? I mean, like in your mind, like as you think about this, like, do you think you're, you're gonna do it? He's like, I don't know. He's like, well, why would you not? He's like, well, he starts listening off. He's like, oh, I'm on the basketball team and it'd be dumb to get caught and, and different things, and Roger's like, okay, well, you know, do you, does it matter to you what God may think about it? And he goes, yeah, and I'm thinking about that too, and yeah, I don't know. And Nick gets up and walks away from the table. I sat there, and I'm like, that is the weirdest conversation I've ever had, seen an adult have with their 16-year-old. And guys, in some ways, I'm not saying that like that, 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 that maybe is a perfect example, because I don't know, like if, if 16's too early to give them that much authority and that much freedom to do things, I... That'll be stuff I got to kind of wrestle through and we got to wrestle th through. But I really delighted in the ability to have an authentic relationship that they could just talk. And I thought, you have to shoot at something. And if I could shoot at anything for my teenagers, it would be at least that. That we just talk openly about it. But that does mean I have to relinquish control and I got I to gotta create other goals and realize I'm in it about the heart more than just about behavior modification. Because at some point, they're gonna be 18, they're gonna be out of your household, and then they're gonna go do, do whatever they wanna do anyway. And it's about trying to disciple up mature adults who love Jesus. And that's, I'm, I'm talking a lot. You got anything you wanna to add to that? I, I love that. Okay. I remember that too. So I think, I think the last thing that I, I would say on there is like a, a challenge, and this is, this is gonna kind of lead into just kind of the final minutes here at your table. Um, I think of another, now this would be on the other opposite end of that spectrum, another example of, of parenting that was uh, painful for me to watch. Um, I remember when we were doing high school ministry at two in the morning, getting a phone call from a parent, relationship that was pretty close to us, um, but of a, of a parent whose daughter had just run away from the home. And there, this household had had a no, no, number of issues and different things, and so it wasn't necessarily surprising, uh, but it was definitely one of those phone calls you're like, crap, you know? So I remember getting up, getting in my car, driving to their house, then trying to figure out, like, if we could try to figure out where their daughter had, had run to. And I remember sitting there listening to her dad just vent. And, uh, and him and I had, a, had enough of a relationship that, that there were a lot of things that we had talked about that I was frustrated in his, his household, his leadership. But this, this night, I was like really gonna let him have it. Because one of the things that he was just like so worked up about, is like, she will never admit that she's wrong. She'll never say that I did this and I did this and that was the wrong thing and, and, I, and I'm sorry, dad. And, and then, and then like, like turn back around and I looked at him and I said, have you ever done that to her? And I think what will always stick in my mind 
was not what he said, it was the look on his face. Because it was like I had just asked him the most ridiculous question in the world. Why do parents apologize to their kids? Like, that's not how this works, right? And I just, I looked back at him. I said, Kurt, you cannot expect your kids to be something that you're not. You have to model it for them. And so, guys, when it gets down into control and behavior modification, what's really at the heart, your kids are gonna become just like you. They're gonna model right after you. If you haven't figured that out already, I mean, if you just look at their sin issues, it's like, yeah, that's me, just a little aversion. Uh, Teach your kids how to own their sin by modeling it for them. It's incredibly humbling and you feel pretty stupid doing it the first time you get on your knee and looking your one-year-old in the eyes and apologizing for how you wronged them especially when they don't say anything back except for like a little like gurgle or slobber. Like it's kind of weird, but it's good for your own heart. Um, what's that, that verse? You had our kids memorize about a soft heart. Can you pull that from memory? Yeah. Proverbs twenty eight fourteen says, blessed is the man who always fears the Lord, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Yeah. And they, they, they memorize that, but it, it actually helped my heart just praying with them. Just, Lord, keep our hearts soft. It's when we, our hearts get to a place where they're hard and we don't want to own our sin and our, um, our wrongdoings or failures. And so just asking for a soft heart. Yeah, it's probably the number one thing that we pray in our household for each other, for our kids, and our kids for each other is that they would just keep their hearts soft. Like, I think that's the greatest thing that they can adopt in life as they walk through life. It's just a soft heart that they would be able to hear from others. They'd be able to be corrected. They'd be able to admit that they're wrong. Uh, those things. So. And I was just going to say, even in that illustration with that, that teenage daughter, we so easily can be there too, yeah. you know, when we, we do feel offended by our kids. We could, that, we could be in that place too and just seeing the long game of parenting too. Proverbs 28, 14. 2814. So. All right, so guys, I'm going to give you your last question. You got a few minutes left. Take this to your table. Uh, sorry, I skipped one too many. One again. <coughs> uh, application, how will this conversation change the way you parent tomorrow? So reflecting on everything that was said today, guys, there could be a lot. Take one thing and, and share it just across the table. How will this change the way you parent tomorrow? For next week then, Lost in Foolishness, read chapters seven and nine and complete the study guide of questions. So <coughs> I believe, is it Heath and Kara, both you two up next week? Yep, so all the hard questions you've got, bring them there. And <coughs> uh, the one thing I love, and this is true about Heath and Kara, but Heath is a straight shooter, so he will tell you things exactly the way that they are, which I love that, you'll love that. All right, here's the question. You got a few minutes. Thank you for joining us today.